De la patrulla de Minos de California. Weather headlines for today, yes. Welcome to the Revenue Generator Podcast, an I Hear Everything production. In this podcast, you'll hear how industry leaders integrate sales, marketing, product, and customer success into a single business unit with a common goal of optimizing their revenue cycle. We'll unearth how innovators integrate data, technology, people, and processes to expedite demand generation and increase recurring revenue. Sit back, tune in, and get ready to meet a member of the Revenue Generation. Here's the host of the Revenue Generator podcast, the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. Welcome to the Revenue Generator podcast, where we members of the Revenue Generation share solutions for how you can integrate your business to optimize revenue. I'm your host and the CMO of Lean Data, Doug Bell. And today, we're going to be talking about MarTech trends. Joining me today is Benjamin Shapiro, who is the producer of the Revenue Generator podcast, the host of the MarTech podcast, the Voices of Search podcast and the CEO of I Hear Everything, which is a new media network that combines the impact audio with the power of digital content to connect creators and brands with their target audience. And today, as I said before, Ben and I are going to talk about MarTech trends from the host of the MarTech podcast. Okay, here's my conversation with Ben Shapiro. Ben, welcome to the podcast. Start me off with something that scares the crud out of me. Doug, all your data is going away. I'm sorry. (laughs) It <laughs> doesn't scare me. I don't understand what data is. What is data, Ben? Um, why, okay, why is my data going away? It's bits that float through the air in the cloud, and they turn into revenue because you've got a lot of smart people on your team. First off, congratulations. You've been hosting the Revenue Generator podcast for like a month now, and your reading of the introduction has gotten incredibly better. I'm very excited and very proud of you. I learned from the best, Ben. I learned from the best. Thank you. Thank you for being the Oracle. Yeah. Now, that said, I'm still going to scare the crap out of you about what's happening in marketing. But the good news is it's no worse than a global pandemic and a potential outbreak of World War III. So, you know, for marketers, we're kind of, I guess, floating above water, relatively speaking. So, Ben, that didn't scare me that much, actually. So let's let's see if we can get scarier and let's provide a little context for folks if we can. Well, I guess the context is I've interviewed a few hundred marketers over the last couple of years. We've done 1,200 episodes of the MarTech podcast. And through those conversations, I've been able to pick out some trends that I think really smart marketers have started to focus on. The first thing that I noticed when the COVID outbreak happened was I think we all saw everyone just sort of dropped their performance marketing budgets. And so, you know, performance marketing became less of an attractive option because nobody knew what budgets they were going to have. We were trying to retain our headcount, keep capital in the businesses. And so everybody started to focus on organic growth and just getting a little smarter about what they were doing with the inbound traffic they were getting. And so now that we're hopefully on the backside of the pandemic, marketers have started to go back towards performance marketing. But what we're seeing is that increase in adoption has led to an incredible rise. And maybe this is related to inflation. And as much as I joke around about World War III, obviously, what's happening in Ukraine is awful. And we're seeing some economic effects here in the United States. Inflation, performance marketing is getting more expensive across the board, across every channel. We see it in our programmatic advertising for podcast ads, I know that it's happening in the 
traditional PPC channels, the Googles and the Facebooks of the world, stuff's getting more expensive to buy ads. Organic traffic still takes a lot of time to cultivate, but there's also a couple other factors that are coming down the pike that I think are really going to influence marketers' abilities to be effective using the existing channels they have. And the big things that are changing are related to some of the data usage and privacy concerns. And we're seeing the platform step up and change the ability for marketers to access data the way that they want to. And specifically what I'm talking about is two big companies, Google and Apple. Never heard of them. They make smartphones Hmm. and they do search engine marketing. So Google, I'll start with them, is deprecating the use of third-party cookies. And so it's going to be difficult to buy third-party data and you're going to get your hand slapped for buying data from somebody else, basically. And so, you know, my understanding of that is there's some workarounds where some smart companies are doing things like privacy clusters where you're not getting access to the data for an individual person. You're getting access to data for a couple of people. One of them is the one that you want to target. So basically our our media buying, our data acquisition is going to get increasingly expensive. And the second is the wild card that's Apple who has never really shown an interest in supporting the marketing community. And they are, of the big platforms, the most stringent in terms of restricting marketers' access to data. And they're getting more aggressive. We've seen this with the rollout. It was at iOS 14.1, one of the 14s, maybe 14.5. But basically, that's the one where Facebook started marketing. Uh, iTunes said that everybody needs to give active consent to be able to collect data from a given app. And so that means that most people are turning off apps' ability to access first-party data. And they're also basically putting the chess pieces on the board in a way that makes it look like advertising is about to be more of a source of revenue from Apple, which means that they're going to stop other people from accessing that data. And so, look, I'm reading the tea leaves a little bit, but what I'm hearing from the marketers that have come on the MarTech podcast, but my feeling is Apple's going to make it real difficult to get data out of the iOS ecosystem. And Google is restricting access to the third-party cookie. So if you can't get the data first party, it's going to be real hard to get it from other places. Now, are you scared? Not scared yet, Ben. I'm not scared yet. By the way, congratulations. You looped in together the following things. The pandemic, war in Ukraine, economic collapse, and effectively the massive sea change and how marketers receive and use data. Those are slightly big things. So let's unpack a little bit of this. Oh, I have one more. Oh, no. No, no, no. Facebook's giving up on social media and they're starting to become this other thing and they've rebranded the company at the same time. So basically, everybody seems to be getting out of Dodge when it comes to digital media and data. You had to throw in Facebook. You had to throw in Facebook. Meta. Meta. Excuse me. Meta. So congratulations, Ben. There's four major topics there you put together. So let's unpack some of this stuff for the audience. The first thing to say is, guys, I think we all were in that place right at the beginning of the pandemic, which was we were running for cover, right? So that's interesting. Performance BART is back, right? However, we have a problem. And our problem is that our source for better performance marketing, that data is going away. So lots of things happening. Google, by the way, I think of those three, frankly, Google is the one that's having the biggest impact, at least in terms of SEO. 
Apple, if you've got an application, that's a challenge as well. We're losing that data. I think we've all experienced this personally, which is every time we log in a new app, it says, do you want to share data? Every time you say no, a marketer dies a little bit inside. So these aren't quite scary things yet, Ben, because guess what? Marketers, we have to sing for our supper. We're adroit. We're capable. We can move. So help us on this pathway when we make this change. Where are we headed? So I think that the strategy has to be cultivating organic growth channels. Look, performance marketing isn't going away. Third-party data isn't going away. It's just going to be harder to access and more expensive. And there's probably going to be some regulation at some point, like another wave of CCPA, GDPR type stuff, that are just going to put more rules in place in terms of what data you can access, how you can use it, and what you need to do to make it compliant. So I don't think that we're going to a zero-sum game where no data will be passed and everything has to be first-party data and you can't use performance marketing to attract customers. It's just going to get prohibitively expensive. So to me, that screams start building relationships and organic growth channels. And off the top of my head, when I think about what those are, a little different B2B and B2C. You know, obviously, SEO is incredibly important in the B2B market. I think that some of these non-traditional social media networks, the cores of the world, um, building social media presence so you can actually get your message out to potential prospects and consumers, building communities is going to be very important. Like those are the things that I talk about when I mean organic growth channels. And the other one is the rise of the influencer. And we've seen this, you know, the Instagram and TikTokification in e-commerce and specifically the health and beauty space, you know, that type of stuff is actually happening in B2B as well. It strikes me here that the fallback for a lot of marketers, I'm going to oversimplify this, Ben, but first-party data becomes that much more valuable, right? And your ability to create first-party data, to be able to use your assets to create first-party data, that's really the key. And you mentioned combination of organic and community marketing that can help pivot. And the second thing you mentioned was, how are you using others, influencers in this case, right? We've all heard the cultural kind of clash over influencers showing up at a hotel and saying, I'm an influencer, let me in for free. But there are business influencers that can drive a lot of activity. Are there influencers you would kind of call out in the B2B space that give people a good measure of what a typical B2B influencer is? So I think that there's two types of influencers there's the the macro influencers. You had one of them on the Revenue Generator podcast, Matt Hines, right? Great example of, you know, you can go into SparkToro or, or one of the other tools that basically helps you understand who's creating influence for these larger channels. And Matt Hines is like one of the influencers in marketing and sales and revenue. And he's just built this sort of company and more of kind of an agency type model, I would call it where he's been on the speaker circuit and been prominent for a long time. Rand Fishkin in SEO is another example of it, right? Somebody who sort of has brand recognition of one of these large sort of institutions or entities. Mark Benioff. Mark Benioff, CEO of Salesforce. I get that. I heard of him. Heard of him. I always confuse him and the Bernie Madoff. Thank you. Mark Benioff. Another example, obviously an influencer in a whole bunch of stuff, specifically for being the CEO of Salesforce. There's a second wave of influencers that are coming out that are not of that class, but are becoming increasingly important. And they are the, what I would call the new media influencers, where you're seeing people that are building large followings as independent creators. 
I'll give you an example. I obviously work a lot in the podcast space. Brian Baroletta is the creator of the Sounds Profitable newsletter. And his newsletter started off focusing on podcast ad tech and is now expanding into ad tech generally. And he's got a couple different shows that he's producing where he is one of the figureheads of this budding up and coming industry that is podcast and the overlap of advertising in podcasts. But he also does a weekly podcast newsletter called The Download. And he's got other people that are producing content under this umbrella of Sounds Profitable, which is becoming an ad tech media empire. You and I are working on a similar project here at the Revenue Generator podcast. You know, so I think that there's this notion of finding people that are in specific niches that are independent media properties, as opposed to relying on either the macro institutional influencers or the actual old school media properties, right? You don't have to go to business week to be prominent in the business world. Now you can work with the Brian Barolettas of the world and, and focus on something that is a little bit more niche. It does feel like what we're talking about here is leaning hard to own media and also thinking about, you know, that influencer marketing piece. Ben, I want to talk a lot about this, but I want to shift topics a little bit, right? Because this is the scary piece, I think. And it's a scary piece maybe for CMOs. And that is this idea that revenue organizations, specifically the CRO's office, is subsuming marketing organizations, meaning the end of the CMO and really the preeminence of the CRO function. So I hear this a lot. I have to say, I'm curious about whether you're hearing this a lot and then what's your take on it? Yeah, a ton. I hear it a lot and it's sort of something that everyone's assumed is true and I don't know if I totally believe it yet. I do think that there needs to be an executive that is solely focused on marketing because marketing is big, hairy, and complex. But we are seeing the silos between marketing, sales, customer success, and product all falling down and we're seeing data flow from, you know, awareness and demand generation through the sales funnel onto customer success. We're able to have this, hopefully a whole picture of a customer's life cycle, you know, from awareness all the way down to advocacy in a post-purchase world. And so I think every organization is thinking about this under the guise of what talent they have on their team. If you can get this superstar that understands, you know, all four of these channels and can build the infrastructure with this team to pass the data along and have this, you know, sort of 30,000 foot view of all channels, then great. I think in reality, most teams are saying our executives need to get together and be able to pass these data and they need to be thinking about the same KPIs. But I don't know if the organizations have been broken down and if marketing and the CMO role is completely going away. Yeah, I would say that this feels like a forcing factor for a lot of organizations that are saying, I need a cohesive, singular revenue organization. And the way that I can get there is to say, everybody reports to the CRO. Let's also take a step back and acknowledge these are incredibly hard jobs, CRO's job. And if, if we just think of it in the context of the responsibilities that roll up to this office, it changes a bit depending on the company, right? But we're talking about a minimum. We're talking about sales itself, inside and outside sales. We're talking about the sales development organization. We're talking about sales engineering. And this is the B2B perspective, right, folks? This is not your typical B2C organization per se. Quite often, you'll find that there are elements of customer support or customer advocacy that can fall underneath this as well. 
And then as you're including, say, marketing functions, it's just that much harder to be a capable CRO, if you will. But just to start, CRO's got an awfully big job. So it feels like a forcing factor. And I would say that my fear, Ben, to put this out there is that I think it makes a lot of sense if you want a singular organization that is entirely focused on revenue. But what is that CRO's job? That CRO's job is to live quarter by quarter, maybe year by year. And that CRO's job is to make sure that they hit those numbers. What are they focused on? The next quarter, right? Good CMOs, what do they focus on, Ben? The next three to five years. And so that's the risk potentially. And that's the thing that scares me. Not that the idea of the CMO going away, but the idea is that a position is held to this idea of a quarterly target that they never escape from, and they lose that long-term perspective. It goes back to what we were saying before about what happens when the data goes away. You need to cultivate these organic growth channels. But look, you can't launch an SEO channel and assume it's going to be mature in a day, right? SEO takes six months to a year to multiple years to mature. And so that's really where there's some conflict in my head of, you know, the CROs are generally more quarter to quarter short-term focus, but they're going to have to rely on these long-term slow to mature growth channels as performance marketing becomes cost prohibitive. And the CRO is going to be a stressful role in the next couple of years. You know, I'm going to like have to build the ship and hope that it floats at the same time. You know, that's a tough position to be in. It's not easy. And I you know, have to say, Ben, I've seen this trend. Folks can't see me, but aside from being spectacularly good looking, I'm gray, right? I've been around the block. We go with Silver Fox, Jeff. Silver We're Fox. We're going with Silver you. Fox. Thank you, Ben. You forgot the incredibly good looking part. That's the Fox part. <laughs> There's the Fox part. There you go. The trend that I was seeing was that you had this combination of VP of sales and VP of marketing. You typically call it the VP of sales and marketing, right? And what happened with this trend? Well, you ended up having this hyper-focus on demand gen and revenue performance. In other words, could I close the business, right? Could I possibly uh, squeeze more out of the business in short term? I saw that trend kind of come back out and the VPs of marketing emerge. So I would say it's interesting. And by the way, you know, I hear this from the most often. Who? The analysts. The analysts, right? So there is some truth to this. These are the folks that sit on top of and see all these things. So the foresters, the gardeners of the world, the IDCs are, are saying, look, we're seeing this trend happen over time. I think we will survive. Are there other trends, Ben, that we should be paying attention to, those of us here in the RevGen podcast and way out in the sales tech world? You know, I, I just did an interview today with the host of a podcast called Gain, Grow, Retain. They do a community and a podcast for customer success. And what was interesting to me is he was basically saying the customer success organizations and even sometimes the sales organizations are a little jealous of marketing. And the reason is because marketing is farther along in their adaptation of marketing automation, right? We understand segmentation and being able to launch campaigns at scale in an automated fashion. And so a lot of what's happening in my understanding in sales tech and in customer success tech is they're trying to figure out how to build in triggers and automate the process because a lot of what they're doing is still sort of very manual. So we've seen an increase in investment in sales tech. There's, I know you did an episode talking about how the sales tech is like unicorn land these days and every sales tech company seems to be worth a billion dollars. We're seeing a similar thing in customer success. So, you know, as marketers, I feel like 
there are macro factors that are hurting our business, but the good news is we're relatively far along in our adoption of technology. And so, you know, maybe we'll just be able to automate and optimize our way out of this problem. Yeah, I think it's a really good point. And I would validate that and say that Lean Data recently concluded a study where we got 1,700 people, mostly in B2B SaaS, to tell us about how they're thinking about their state of lead management. And one of the things that came out that I thought was really interesting from this study was the first thing was that their number one priority was obviously pipeline, right? Not a shock. A lot of folks were experiencing trouble with growth last year as well. The number two priority was automation, right? So gosh, if you're seeing something like that, Ben, what would you expect their number one or two priority would be in terms of investment? Well, guess what? It wasn't tech, right? And so to me, that was actually one of their lowest priorities. To me, what that's basically saying is that there's been a lot of consumption of software and they're not quite sure what that investment is resulting in. And they're looking for really making that software work better internally. In other words, using it to perform more automation. So the trend I would share from our side of the world, the sales tech side, you're MarTech, by the way, Ben, just in case you didn't realize which side we're on here, is to say that we are hitting this point of diminishing returns for a lot of the sales leaders. And they've added everything to their stack. And now they're going, what do I do next? Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, if I had to connect the dots here, the what do I do next is great. You've bought all this expensive technology. You have the capabilities to do the automation. Go sit down with your marketing team and ask them how they think about segmentation. Ask them how they think about setting up the automation. Generally, the rule of thumb is whatever you're doing manually, create a rule to have it automated and just start with your existing processes and go one pain point at a time. But go sit down with a marketer and ask them about how they think about using their automation technologies. And, you know, hey, look, if we're all going to be on the same team, we might as well work together. That, I guess, is my suggestion. Well, Ben, I challenged you out of the gate to scare me. You didn't do it. I appreciate it. I would love to have you begin to, to try and scare me. Would you be willing at some point in the future? Am I allowed to bring up that Jalen Hurts is going to be the Eagles quarterback next year? Folks, that ends this podcast. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. Yeah. We're not going to scare everybody in Philadelphia that's listening, Ben. But yes, that is a scary circumstance. Okay, that wraps up this episode of the Revenue Generator Podcast. Thanks to Benjamin Shapiro, the CEO at I Hear Everything, for joining us. If you'd like to learn more about Ben, you can find a link in his LinkedIn profile in our show notes, or you can contact him on Twitter, where his handle is at BenJShap, or visit his company website at IHearEverything.com. Just one link in our show notes I want to tell you about. If you didn't get a chance to take notes while listening to this podcast, shame on you. Head over to the RevGenPod.com website, where we have summaries of all of our episodes and contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our weekly newsletter, apply to be a speaker on the RevGen podcast, or you can even share your revenue generation questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you can always reach out on social media. Our handle is at RevGenPod on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram or you can contact me directly. My handle is Market Advocate. If you haven't subscribed yet and want a daily stream of RevGen strategies in your podcast feed, we're going to publish an episode every day during the work week. So hit that subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll be back in your feed in the next business day. Okay, that's all for today. But until next time, keep cranking because the revenue isn't going to generate itself.